0: Well, uh, excited to do this uh, second episode of the Sit Downs featuring Yay. Industrious, Micaiah Shaw, Isaac Lopez. Uh, I just related. have. Yes, related. Yes. Um, just a quick question. Micaiah, why did you start Industrious?
1: Well, I started in Industrious because I was sitting at Sabbath dinner, I think, or it was around Christmas time last year. Um, we were sitting at Sabbath dinner and I saying something about how it'd be fun to do some sort of DIY portion yeah, of the podcast. Sorry. We were talking about all the different podcasts you had going mm-hmm. and how long you had been doing your podcast, which was very impressive to me because it have been going for a while at that point. Right. And so I was like, oh, it'd be really fun to do some sort of DIY sort of podcast. Mm-hmm. And Isaac goes,
0: What? <laughs> You
1: want to do that? Well, okay, I'll email you the details and get you on Slack and make sure you've got all the stuff. So that's how <laughs> industry started. Yeah, that was basically it. <laughs> Yep. It was pretty straightforward.
0: Great.
2: Hello and welcome to the Cut in the Dry here on TLG Radio. I'm your host, Kip Mock not here with my co-host isaac lopez this evening um i i wanted to do a brief follow-up to our previous straight and narrow episode so we can call this episode notes on civil disobedience um and, and as we discussed in the last straight and the narrow we left a lot of loose ends uh, and we didn't get very far into any kind of conclusions and i wanted to draw that out a little bit by um looking at examples of civil disobedience in scripture so i'm going to jump right into that i'm going to read through a bunch of examples of civil disobedience in scripture and then i'll 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 wrap up by uh giving my thoughts on what these examples mean for living as a christian today so i'll start out with exodus chapter 20 verses 15 through 21. Uh, and all of these all of these scriptures will be from the English Standard Version It says, quote, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shepra and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women were not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. A couple things to note from this passage. First of all, uh, clear civil disobedience in in the hebrew midwives uh, combined with blatant lying so uh let's note that and move on to joshua chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. so in this example i'm going to be zeroing in on rahab and we see a similar thing here in the book of joshua so starting in verse 1 of chapter 2 quote And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittimah's spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Moving on to yet another example, Um, 1 Samuel 14, verses 36 through 46, which says, Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. And Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and know and see how this sin has arisen today, for as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it may be in jo- though may though it may sorry, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. For there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan my son, O Lord of God of Israel, give Orim, But if this guilt is in your people Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. Then Saul said, Cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan, Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. And Saul said, God, do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. Then the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die? Who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines. And the Philistines went to their own place. A little bit of a long one there. What, I'm, what I would like to draw from this passage is the fact that uh, Saul has laid down the law here um, and said, effectively, Jonathan sinned; he needs to die. And the people rebel and say, "No, we're not. We're not going along with that. Um, that's not happening today." And and Saul uh, relents. So, moving on to First Kings chapter eighteen, verse thirteen. This is just describing. Uh, when Obadiah hid the prophets of the Lord in direct rebellion against what Ahab and particularly Jezebel had decreed about the prophets of the Lord being slaughtered. So verse 13 says, uh, this is uh, Obadiah speaking to Elijah, has it not been told my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water Moving on into the New Testament, Acts four thirteen through 22 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, speaking of the religious authorities, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And just one chapter later in Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So with those few examples of civil disobedience throughout scripture i i think that all christians would recognize that there's there is a time and a place for disobeying your governing governing authorities the question is when and i think that there are far too few christians who are willing to say that the time is now but i think that the time is very clearly now and has been for quite a while we uh we live in a nation that is under under the wrath of god demonstrably uh we live in a nation that murders its own children when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient after they've been born we kill them anyway we live in a nation that celebrates degeneracy. We're, we're well beyond the, the line of uh, degeneracy being practiced in secret. It, it's no longer practiced in secret. We're, we're at the point where it's not only tolerated, but people are being required to give, give praise, give acceptance to the degeneracy that is rampant. Uh, you can see this obviously in things like pride parades um, and, and even in the example of abortion, you know, there's, there's a company out there that makes custom t-shirts for women who are proud of the number of babies they've murdered um, to display that on on a t-shirt. This, this is rampant degeneracy in throughout the entire country and that doesn't exclude the government the the government is the one that requires your tax your taxes to fund planned parenthood so they can go dismember babies and sell their body parts for a profit that's that's the government that did that it's the government who is trying to redefine what a life is what marriage is and Ultimately, trying to skew every single parameter that God has laid out for us. What is a gender? Well, the government would like you to think uh, that it's it's something entirely different. Canada just passed laws, actually, a couple of years ago now, I believe, requiring you to use an individual's preferred pronouns. There are companies that, because of the pressure of other big companies and their lobbying effect um, or or just because of those companies' leaders' personal beliefs uh, are firing individuals for not getting a vaccine, for uh, all these kinds of things. So I, I'm rambling on, but what I'm trying to communicate is the conveniences that you garner by not standing up for what's right. Are not worth. Are not worth what it's going to be like on Judgment Day when, regardless of your of your salvation, you still have to answer for every every word you speak, every word that comes out of your mouth, every uh, submission to tyranny, every caveat to the radical left. You'll have to answer for that, and the minor conveniences of, of giving in before before you're actually we're actually at the point of you must recant or you'll be executed. Hopefully, every Christian would make the right choice under under that circumstance. But if you get in the habit of making the wrong choice, when the consequences are not so dire, you're simply practicing to make the wrong decision when, when and if that decision comes. If many of the soft, complacent, pathetic men in the united states were in the position that many missionaries and translators are in in afghanistan right now i would i would be surprised if they if those soft men suddenly became willing to die for what they believe. You don't, you don't become prepared to die for what you believe by giving in when it's easy. That's, that's simply not how it works. And getting back to what I started this monologue with, again, all Christians, I think, would agree that there's, there is a line there is a line at which they theoretically would not cross, they would not submit, they would not give in. I would just challenge you to question, has that line already passed? What are the, what are the places that you currently ought not to submit? Are there, are there areas in your life where you're making you're sacrificing your principles for convenience or to fit in or to maintain your status or to hold out for that promotion at the company you're working for. Is that what's going on? Because if so, you've got a problem. And are you in an environment? Have you put yourself in an environment where a church, a school, a company where that's the burden of resistance is is simply too much. Are you in a position where you cannot provide for your family and also resist the evil? If so, then you need to find another job Just just because they're gonna fire you for not going to the intersectionality training. Doesn't mean you just don't have to provide for your family you need to go, uh, if you need to relocate, if you, whatever the case may be, it doesn't absolve you of responsibility. It's just one of the fun challenges of living in the times we live in. Um, so ultimately, you're not off the hook for any responsibility, but you're also not off the hook for any of your principles. It may seem like it now, but when you stand before the great white throne, and you look back on your life, and you're giving an answer, you ought to be. You ought to be able to justify those big decisions that you made in your life. Obviously, we all sinned, and we all sin constantly. But when we when we practice subservience to man rather than obedience to god we cannot expect to be ready to practice obedience to god over obedience to man when the time matters you can't expect to submit to the intersectionality training to uh sign on to the gay pride uh you cannot you cannot Pretend that sin is not sin for 20 years and then come to a moment like the apostles did in Acts chapter 5, where they had just been warned not to be preaching the gospel. And you cannot expect to answer and say, uh, as Peter did, we must obey God rather than men. And then proceed to proclaim the gospel right in front of the men who had warned them not to all i'm trying to communicate here is you ought to practice obedience to god over obedience to man and if you do so you will be prepared when the difficult time comes with that um i hope you enjoyed this episode just a a brief little monologue on civil disobedience and some examples in scripture to get get your mind thinking about it um hope you've enjoyed my thoughts here apologies without isaac i tend to ramble a little bit but he will be back next week so thanks for joining me for the cut or actually pardon me for the straight and the narrow on tlg radio this is kit mock signing off Mm
1: And welcome back to Industrious. I'm your host Makaya Shaw, and in today's episode, we're getting arts and craftsy. We're talking about arts and crafts. That is, I was on the phone the other day with my grandma Mimi, um, who lives in Kansas City, Missouri, um, and just catching up with her. It had been a little while since I'd had a chat with her, and we were reminiscing about something that I had not thought about for a long time. Well, no, the trigger for our conversation I had obviously found recently. So I had thought about it, but I hadn't gone into depth thinking about it. Anyway, what we were talking about was mosaicing. And this comes from my husband located an old mosaic that I had done when I was 10 years old. (laughs) So in 2000. Five, I believe was what was on the back. Yeah, 2005. I was 10 years old. Um, he found this cross um, that I had mosaicked in a box somewhere in our house. I'm not exactly sure where. Um, and he decided, ah, yes, this needs to be on our mantle in our living room, which I, of course, was very much uh, to my chagrin. I was not excited about that. It is not a terribly ugly piece. I still, I still like it, which... Cannot be said for most things that I made when I was 10 or even 15 or even 16. So um, it has been sitting on our mantle for a few days now. And when I was FaceTiming with Mimi... I noticed it and remembered, oh, I wanted to show her that I found this. So I turned the camera around and was asking her, do you recognize this? Because when I was 10, and I think maybe it was right when I was 10 that we started doing this, but Mimi had a shop in Kansas City that she went to regularly. I might be wrong. It might have been in the suburbs of Kansas City. It might not have been actually Kansas City, but the nearby area surrounding region she had a shop like a studio that she went to to mosaic things so it was a mosaic studio you could come in purchase kind of the form the shape that you wanted to mosaic on and then just pick all the tiles that you wanted to use all the different glass pieces and then you sit there with a whole bunch of ladies and you mosaic So Mimi invited me one week when I was 10, and we went on Saturdays really early in the morning because that's what you did. You went pretty early, and I was the youngest person there by far, and apparently I've been told they were all very impressed by my behavior most of the time, but I was just so excited to be doing something craftsy because my mom, it definitely, the craftiness skipped a generation very distinctly. My mom has never been that interested in arts and crafts. So I definitely get that from my grandmas, both of them. And so I was just thrilled to be sitting with glue and colored glass and being told that I get to place them where I want them. Anyway, I have such fond memories of going to that place and sitting there and chatting with the older ladies about what they were doing. They would always like ask me, what pieces I liked or what would look good together or what I thought would be nice on whatever shape they were doing and that was always very, very exciting for me. I loved to see what everyone else would choose to do because people have such different tastes in what they want to create um, and different shapes and color combinations and things like that. It's just really, really fun and exciting to me, and people would do the craziest things. Most of the things that I did were very simple shapes and pieces. I did the cross that is now sitting on our mantelpiece, I did a couple mirrors, I did a a lizard at one point I mosaic a dog for my brother for his birthday, but I told him I had actually got him a puppy Which only caused a little bit of emotional turmoil <laughs> I think that might have scarred him a little bit because I was really leaning into the oh, yeah I got you a puppy for your birthday um, Which I had but it was You know tile and grout and glue. It was not a real puppy anyway um, sorry Isaac <laughs> but so, I did mostly fun little shapes like that. I did an, uh, I think it was a dolphin and the lizard for a cousin's school's benefit auction. It was auctioned off at the um, uh, fundraiser for his school, which was super fun. Anyway, it was a very fun creative outlet for me. And I don't think that shop exists anymore, but it got me thinking, talking with Mimi about it recently, I was like, that's such a fun activity for people to do. And I even. It must have been for my 11th birthday, 11th. No, it must have been my 11th because we had moved away from Kansas City for my 12th. So, um, I think I had my 11th birthday party at the mosaic shop with a couple girlfriends, um, and we all just did mosaics together and had snacks and treats. It was super fun. Had a really good time. And yeah, it just was like, oh, that's such a nice thing to be able to go do with someone. You just sit there and you try something busy to do with your hands, you know, which is a lot, of, a lot of fun conversation can happen in those sorts of scenarios. And then you get to take home whatever pretty piece you're done with at the end. Now, I don't know if I would do much mosaicing now. I think it might be fun to try something here or there. But I don't know just the types of items that you mosaic. I think it's fun kind of for the craftsy activity, but I don't know what I would do with a mosaic item right now. But I can see myself really enjoying tiling, just plain tiling, even though it's not the same jigsaw type puzzle as a mosaic is, because with mosaics you're working with jagged pieces that have just the glass has been shattered in a more randomized way, and then with tiling, like tiling a backsplash or a bathroom, it's a little more straight lines, a very specific pattern, which I think I would get very into right now. And the finished product would be very, very satisfying to me. So I think I'm definitely going to need to do some of that. Eric cool. Well, my husband will hear this and think, oh no, because I am set on doing some projects in our bathroom this fall, just trying to let us finish the deck before I really tackle that. But I am already brimming with ideas for that. Short term fixes, of course, because we are planning on stripping our downstairs of our house down to the bones and starting from starting from scratch at some point. But it got me thinking, thinking about the mosaic shop, I was looking up in Moscow, I was like, something to do like this would be so fun if we had some place to go for something like this, especially with me having I have a much younger sister who I just um, threw a birthday party, her 10th birthday party for, not just, it was in February, but this year I threw her her first big birthday party when she turned 10, and I did a little tea party for her and some friends, which was super fun. But while I had a good time preparing all the tea party things, I didn't have a very involved activity for after, you know, the snacks and drinks, and and I forgot that 10-year-old girls don't just sit and chat as easily as, you know, adult ladies do. We would just like a cup of tea and just sitting and talking the whole time. But 10-year-old girls were looking at me saying, okay, uh, so what are we doing now? And I thought, a good question. (laughs) So it just, an activity adds something to younger children's interactions i guess something to do with your hands makes or or a task to be completing together kind of fosters different interactions, I guess. Um, so I was looking it up in Moscow, like, is there anything like this where you can go to do these sorts of things? So this is probably my first episode where I've done some research beforehand because I was really interested. And the only thing that I could find was we have a yarn shop called the Yarn Underground, and I have not been there personally. I walk by it all the time because it's just off of Main Street. Um, but they have classes for knitting and embroidery and I think some sewing classes as well and that was really cool to me because I love sewing and um, they had a lot of specific classes that you can take but they also have different hours that you can come in and just ask questions and be like I'm not exactly sure what I should be doing here, or something's not working with what I'm doing, or I forgot how... I think what what I would probably end up in there for is whenever I pick up knitting again, every time I pick up knitting again, I am always just fine until I've finished my scarf, because that's the only thing I know how to knit is a scarf. Thanks, Mimi. <laughs> and um, thank you for teaching me how to knit a scarf. I That's a special story for another time. Um, but I always... I can remember how to start the scarf, I can remember how to keep the scarf going, I also can remember how to switch colors out and do different colors in my scarf. However, when I'm having to take the scarf off of my needles, suddenly there's no memory there. I have no idea how to do that and it always ends up looking kind of terrible or just living on the needles for the rest of its life until it unravels at some point. So that would what that is what would send me to the yarn underground with questions trying to get someone to teach me how to actually finish a scarf. <laughs> so I might have to check that out sometime when I pick up knitting again. Knitting was my was what I did while I listened to my dad read because all through well, as we grew up, my dad would always read a book aloud to us kids every night and a chapter or two or three if we really pestered him cliffhangers are the worst, but, um, I always needed something to do with my hands, so it would either be sketching or sewing or knitting, and it would always be a scarf. it would always be knitting a scarf. And it was just something that I had to have my hands moving somehow. So now, nowadays, I don't sit for long periods of time with nothing to do with my hands, hands very often, so I have not picked up knitting in a while. Um... But that sort of thing is really neat to me that we have a shop where you can go and talk to people who have the same interests and want to help you learn more about what you're doing or help you with some problem that you have, and and it's an activity. It's a fun little activity for your free time for fostering your um, kind of your different hobbies, I guess and. The other one that's just gone in that I was thinking of is kind of along the same lines. It's something fun to do with friends um, to kill some time. Is There's now a gaming cafe, I guess is what they're calling it. Journey's End Cafe is off of 3rd Street. Um, and it is super fun. I have heard from my siblings. I have not had a chance to get there yet, but it is on my list of to-dos, especially as the weather gets a little chillier. I think that'll be definitely the place to go on a chilly afternoon when you need to do something fun with some friends, but it's it's literally a cafe that serves food and drinks. I think coffee, just general drinks. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what their menu looks like, but And they just have a a library of board games and card games and all sorts of fun things like that. So my siblings, the older ones and the younger ones, have all gone together, gone separately with different friends. We have friends that work there. And it just seems like such a fun environment and such a fun concept to have a place where people can come and buy and play games because buying games, that takes a long time to build up a very good collection because they're pricey. They're very pricey. We have a few games. um, We've built up a little bit of a a collection, but we did register for a few games when we were getting married, my husband and I. We registered for some games that we really loved or ones that we wanted to learn how to play. Um, And then we've slowly either gotten each other one game each Christmas or put them on our birthday list, so family members have purchased us games over the years. Um, So we're slowly accumulating games. But it's so neat to go to a place that has a large library that you can choose from, especially if you want to try out new games without committing to paying for them. I think that's a really neat concept. And it's just a super fun, low-key thing to do. So... This is a very kind of a random random episode, but arts and crafts and hobbies. It's something I haven't thought about very much recently because I haven't had a ton of time, though my arts and crafts side has been um, kind of fostered or appeased by all of the different home house projects that I've had to do. So this week I've been able to do a little bit more than I've done in the past month or so um, because I've had a few little painting projects to do. Not fun painting like painting a landscape or a portrait or something, but um, touching up cabinetry in our kitchen. Very exciting stuff. But I found the original kitchen, not the original original because this kitchen has been three or four different colors in its lifetime. But We took out one of the cabinets in our kitchen, one of the upper cabinets, to make room for a bigger refrigerator, which is very exciting. More room, more storage in the freezer, very, very exciting. But the cabinet that we took out left behind a gaping swath of light pink paint that had been um, in the kitchen of old so i had to cover that up and while i was at it i finally covered the patch of pink that has been on our ceiling from when we took the old fixture down so now our kitchen looks clean and all one color mostly which is very exciting and that has been my outlet for the creative or for the I don't know if that really counts as creative, it's just painting white patch, just painting patches of pink white. So it's not that creative, but it was something other than the normal day to day. So that's really exciting for me. Anyway, look out for a video of our deck project coming soon because we are down to the last final steps of the project, which is very exciting, very, very exciting. We're finalizing the railing on the upper deck and then painting all of it very soon. And I'm so ecstatic about it. <laughs> It'll be so nice to have our yard back, so nice to have a finished product after many months of blood, sweat, and tears. Literally, not too many tears, um, a little bit less blood or vice versa. I'm not exactly sure actually on that. Anyway, it's been a whole deal and we're, I'm excited to share it with everybody and to host people, let everyone see it and enjoy it and have a nice place to sit and enjoy the September, October, fall months. I love these months and I'm so excited. Anyway, be sure to check out The Life Given on Facebook and follow me on the Instagram because I will be updating that soon. Hopefully, with all the pictures of the deck and those sorts of things. Anyway, have a great rest of your week. Bye-bye.
0: Hello and welcome to the Brief News Brief Podcast presented by the Given Radio. I'm your host, Isaac Lopez, and this is the August 27th, 2021 report. Today is going to be a really great show because in the brief breakdown, I'm going to cover a, a story that shows what 60% of Christians are saying. I can tell you it's not as exciting as you would hope it to be. And, and we will also report on what's trending and give you an update on the Afghanistan situation. And then in the report itself, we will discuss uh, different reactions to, uh, we will report on rather, uh, different different reactions to the uh, FDA's approval of the Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. Also, we'll report on uh, a number of other stories, including the uh, Supreme Court's activity, it's had a very busy week. All of that and more on the August twenty seventh report. Uh, before we get into the show, though, I do, I would encourage you to like and follow wherever you get the show, leave a five star review where you can, and share the show. Uh, for this. To be a successful venture and one that has honestly required a lot of time, passion, and energy, uh, it will only be successful if we have a, a people that um, put in time on both uh, the creative side, right, but also on people that follow. Um, so toward that end, feel free to share it with uh, people that you think are looking for uh, content that will spark good conversation. Now, if you want to get engaged in more conversation, feel free to join the Facebook group page. And you can find that in the show notes. Now, let's get into the report. Starting off with politics. this, This first report is from Defense One. A direct quote. Trump's final acting defense secretary has now audaciously claimed that the former president never had any intention of going through with his own plan that is, withdrawing from Af- Afghanistan. Chris Miller told Defense One that Trump's deal with the Taliban was actually all a play to disguise his administration's secret-, secret strategy. He said, We weren't just going to head for the door. We were going to jam, ousted, Afghan President Ghani hard and make him cut a deal with the Taliban. It would have been ugly. It wouldn't have been great. But there was no plan to just leave. End quote. This report from The Blaze, U.S. Capitol Police on Thursday announced an active bomber threat investigation near the Library of Congress, according to the Associated Press, prompting nearby Capitol Hill buildings, including the Cannon House office building, to be evacuated. Capitol Police announced that the suspect, 49-year-old Floyd Roseberry of North Carolina, has been taken into custody without incident. Authorities say that Roseberry recently suffered several losses, pointing to the death of his mother and more. According to a Reuters report, there has been little to no evidence that President Trump or his allies engineered the riot on January the sixth on Capitol Hill. The defense secretary will mandate that all one point four million U.S. service members receive the COVID nineteen vaccine. The Supreme Court has allowed for a Trump-era rule to remain in place that has immigrants immigrants at the southern border remain in Mexico prior to being approved to enter the country instead of entering the country and then being approved. And then this r- report from Reuters that says, the U.S. Supreme Court on Thursday ended the pandemic-related federal moratorium on residential evictions imposed by President Joe Biden's administration in a challenge to the policy brought by a coalition of landlords and real estate trade groups. On to culture. The Taliban are reportedly hunting down journalists in Afghanistan who seem to be friendly to Westerners. They have been going house to house specifically looking for journalists and their families. At a school board meeting in Colorado, critical race theory was banned from being taught. During the course of this meeting, a father got up to deliver an impassioned plea that uh, it would that encouraged the school board to not allow critical race theory to be taught. And I quote from Wilburn, "'I am a direct descendant of the North American slave trade. Both my parents are black, all four of my grandparents are black, all eight of my great-grandparents, and all 16 of my great-greats. On my mother's side, my ancestors were enslaved in Alabama. On my father's side we were enslaved in texas i am not oppressed and i am not a victim he added that his three children are not oppressed either though they are victims i taught my children they are victims of three things he said their own ignorance their own laziness and their own poor decision making that is all we are not victims of america we are not victims of some unseen 190 year old force that kind of floats around in the ether putting critical race theory into our classrooms, is taking our nation in the wrong direction. Racism in America would by and large be dead today if it were not for certain people and institutions keeping it on life support. Sadly, very sadly, one of those institutions is the American education system. End quote. Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago told reporters that vaccines were going to be required of all city employees. This seemed to set off a trigger in some people as the pushback came quickly from the Fraternal Order of Police of Chicago, President Katanzara. It cannot be mandated, he said. It's that simple. Our members don't want to be mandated to do anything like that. This vaccine has no studies for long-term side effects or consequences. None. To mandate anybody to get that vaccine without that data as a baseline, amongst other issues, is a, quote, hell known from us. On to health. Vaccine effectiveness could be waning as time goes on. A report from the University of Utah Health showed that a study across eight sites in the U.S. found that vaccine effectiveness was 80% in a large group of frontline workers between the months of last December and this August. This is down from 90%, 91% when they were last measured. And then, this report from the New York Times the Food and Drug Administration on Monday granted full approval to Pfizer BioNTech's coronavirus vaccine for people 16 and older, making it the first to move beyond emergency use status in the United States. And then, our one story from sports Rachel Nichols, NBA commentator and show host, was released by ESPN this last week, as well as had her show removed from its lineup. This follows on the heels of an audio recording being leaked, revealing her criticism of someone who is of a different skin complexion being picked ahead of her to report on the NBA Finals. Quote, if you need to give her more things to do because you're feeling pressure about your crappy longtime record on diversity, which by the way, I know personally from the female side of it, like go for it. Just find it somewhere else. Nicole said, you are not going to find it from me or taking my thing away david roberts espn's senior vice president of production said in a statement we mutually agreed that this approach regarding our nba coverage was best for all concerned rachel rachel is an excellent reporter host and journalist and we thank her for her many contributions to our nba content and finally some good news the mississippi uh later this year the Supreme Court will hear a case that will challenge Mississippi abortion laws that if passed would restrict nearly all abortions after 15 weeks. And then to uh, move on from the reporting to what's trending, to give you an update on what's going on in Afghanistan, this story is not going away. I think it is just beginning to escalate. A suicide bomber, this this from uh, Fox News, okay, uh, there was an explosion in the Kabul airport, and uh, reports were coming in almost at the stream, uh, almost at the rate of stream of consciousness. How quickly they were coming in. Um, these are some fast facts from Fox News: a suicide bombing outside the Abbey gates at Kabul's airport in Afghanistan Thursday has killed at least ten U.S. Marines and soldiers. U.S. officials tell Fox News that count has now been up to thirteen. By the way. A U.S. official indicated that the attack set off a firefight at Abbey Gate, where last night there were 5,000 Afghans and potentially some Americans seeking access to the airport. A second explosion happened outside the Baron Hotel, sources went on to say. So this attack was reportedly carried out by ISIS, not necessarily the Taliban. Biden did say in another report that he has asked his U.S. military commanders for plans to strike back at the ISIS branch in Afghanistan who carried out this deadly attack. So things are still continuing to escalate. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos in the over and around the American withdrawal from Afghanistan. And I'll keep you updated on that as the story continues to unfold. Now, let's conclude with the brief breakdown. This report is from the blaze. And I think that it just kind of catches, uh, catches what is going on in America in an article, in a blog post. This is what uh, is going on and what has propelled us into um, the state that we are in right now. And so I'm just going to jump in. I'm not even going to read the title of the report. You'll find out soon enough. So here we go. Let's end on a cheerful note. I say that tongue in cheek. Quote, a new study has found that over 60% of born again Christians in America between the ages of 18 and 39 believe that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven and that Buddha and Muhammad are also valid paths to salvation the Christian Post reported. The outlet, citing the results of Pro Ministries Religious Views and Practices survey, also said that for those in that age group, over 30% say they either believe that Jesus sinned just like other people or aren't sure. In addition, the Christian Post said that the study shows a striking decline in evangelical religious beliefs and practices over the last decade. The study added that the percentage of self-proclaimed believers Who now hold to pluralism has gone up. More from the outlet. The study, which interviewed 3,100 Americans ages 18 to 55 in 2020 and looked at various other previous studies, saw a drop in basic biblical worldview, God's attributes, the accuracy of the Bible, salvation, and Jesus being sinless, from 47% in 2010 to 25% in 2020 among born-again Christians. The drop in the expanded biblical worldview, beliefs about Satan and morals being objective, went from 32% in 2010 to 16% in 2020. So the study says the percentage of born-again Christians with the biblical worldview has been cut in half over the last decade. This result is a startling degradation in a worldview beliefs of born-again Christians over just 10 years. The Christian Post went on to say that um, they, actually, will will end there, right there. I think that captures a lot of, uh, well, first of all, uh, I do want to get into uh, the the heart of the issue here. I, I do not believe that you can be born again if you do not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. If you believe that he is one of many paths to heaven, then you didn't actually recognize his kingship. And when you're called to repent unto the Lord Jesus Christ and recognize that he alone is the only way to heaven, then I don't think you are actually born again. I think that's a pretty simple take. Um, but I, I don't want to get away from what I was trying to say initially. Here is that I think that the evangelical movement in the U.S. has declined significantly, and that's not necessarily uh, a surprising statement to make, right? I saw a statistic floating around, and I would have to find out where uh, where this is rooted. <coughs> but it sounds believable. But take this with a grain of salt. Only nine percent of Americans today read the Bible daily. And that kind of fits in hand with uh, the, the low percentages of people that actually, of self-proclaimed Christians that believe that A, uh, Christ is sinless, that Christ is uh, the only way to heaven. Um, there is definitely a striking decline, as the Christian Post put it. And when you just look at a sample study like this, a sample, uh, a snapshot of the church today, of people who make up the self-proclaimed church today, why are you surprised when you see headline after headline of uh, pastors who aren't really, uh, who who might not have actually been Christian from the get-go um, walk away from the faith? Or um, headline after headline of Um, people making decisions that just absolutely surprise you time after time. And this this happens almost week after week and has been since the beginning of the pandemic because uh, that has just acted as an accelerant of driving us further from the trust safety that we find in Jesus Christ and that can only be found in him now that doesn't mean that we don't take precautions and that doesn't mean that we aren't smart about how we handled the pandemic but it does mean that we have a much uh, less terrified outlook when it comes to handling worldwide uh, chaos and that's exactly like how we uh, we can apply that same principle of confidence that we find in Jesus Christ when it comes to analyzing this Afghanistan situation. And I'll probably get into that next week. But when it comes down to um, anything culturally, uh, anything that seems to be deteriorating within the culture, then maybe we first start to look at what's the state of the church. And if we look at... Uh, samples, studies like this, we can see the state of the church is in a very unhealthy place. And that's where we should focus a lot of our efforts before we start thinking about the culture wars. Let me know what you think. Reach out to me at the thebriefnewsbrief at gmail.com. I hope this was coherent. <clears throat> I'm coming off a week of sickness about three or four days of having the cold, and it's been a busy three or four days, so it hasn't been the most restful um so I hope that it sounded uh like there were some thoughts that were able that were able to be uh, um, made sense out of um, if you want to uh, drop a tip, feel free to email me if you want to get engaged in good conversation, join our Facebook group at uh, the life given radio conversation group on Facebook until next Friday. God bless. And I will speak with you all next time.